(laughs) Psalm 34. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we do just thank you for finances to be able to get away and and invest in our marriages, to get away and invest in our our families for vacations, and to get away and and invest in ourselves privately, singly, just to be able to do these things, Lord, in a free country. We thank you for our, our, our veterans, Lord, who are serving us to have these freedoms. There's there's countries where the Bible's illegal. It's illegal. You caught with a Bible, you go to prison. Father, we thank you that we could still carry our Bibles, that we could still pray openly, that we can invite people to come to know Jesus because you love them, Father. We thank you for that freedom. And Lord, so this morning as we enjoy this freedom, let us not be complacent or overcomfortable But let us allow your Holy Spirit to convict us as we read your word. That that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our lives to help us to be more like Jesus through this study. For that's our goal here this morning. Just to be more like Jesus. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching that you will be glorified through what is said this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, the title here gives us the occasion for David writing this psalm. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, but we at least know the occasion. And he wrote it after he had to flee from the presence of King Saul, who was seeking to kill him. He fled to Gath, a city of the Philistines. And yes, this was the same David that killed Goliath a Philistine warrior who was that giant, and most of you know that story. But let's look at 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, because it's always nice to get a little background when you're going to read a specific psalm. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. It says, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Now, was he the king of the land yet? He wasn't the king yet. So even the Philistines knew there was a special anointing on David's life. Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? So they knew that David was anointed king, but they also knew that King Saul was still the king of Israel. So notice what takes place. Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he was afraid of King Saul because King Saul wanted to kill him. So rightfully he should be afraid. But who does he run to? The enemy's camp. Those who knew, you see, David is not a young child anymore. He's now a young adult in his 20s. They knew that this was the guy. Wait a minute, you're the guy that killed Goliath with a stone. I mean, you. and then you cut his head off. What are you doing in our land? So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched at the doors of the gate, 
and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Isn't that a great picture? And that's just a great picture. Because David doesn't have a bunch of people with him. David's by himself. He is fleeing from Saul. So he hears what they're saying in his right mind, obviously. He's hoping to get away from Saul, knowing that Saul won't follow me to this area. I'll be safe. But then he hears them talking about, man, isn't this the guy that killed the, our, our brothers and sisters, of, killed our Philistines? Isn't this the guy? Yeah, that's the guy. Well, shouldn't we kill him? I mean, wouldn't that be the obvious? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we kill him? So what does he do? He pretends like he's a madman. This took a lot of guts. But he knew, I'm dead if I don't do something. And so then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Speaking of David, he's nuts. Look at him. He's got spit, saliva, falling down his... Why are you bringing him here? Why have you brought him to me? Have I a need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So that whole scene, David, it actually worked on behalf of David. He actually convinced them that he was literally mad. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone, (laughs) I love this verse, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. (laughs) Isn't that a great verse? I'm fleeing from Saul, and who do I get? I get the people that are in debt, I get the people that are distressed and I get the whiners and the complainers. This is going to be a great army, isn't it? (laughs) So he became captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. So initially David went out by himself. He actually has the sword of Goliath with him as he has gone to Gath. Now, I don't know if he carried it in or out. We don't know. But remember that he's gotten the sword of Goliath. He had it. And so now at... So there's the whole scene as we look back into Psalm 34. There's the whole scene. I will bless the Lord in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, again, we don't know the time that he wrote it. It could have been a week. It could have been 40 years. But he did write it. And so this is very important that we look at it and go, now David gives praise for being back in the land of Israel. You see, the Israelite city by the name of Adullam is only about 15 miles east of Gath and is where David should have run to in the first place. But instead, he went to the area of one of the Israelite enemies, the Philistines. And again, remember, he was thinking, King Saul, he won't pursue me here. But the question needs to be, was he right in doing what he did? Was he right in fleeing to the enemy camp? Answer, not at all. Not at all. But he did it. And here we see that he is back. 
Walking by faith and not fleeing in fear. This is very key as we look at this psalm for all of us. Because we as believers have come out of the world, so to speak. We're still in the world. We need to rub elbows with the world. But we have come out of the world. The drugs, the alcohol, the whatever it might have been, you've come out of that. And the enemy wants to bring fear into your life, into my life, when something doesn't go according to our plans. And we may wonder, where where is God behind all this? I've been praying, where is God? And the tendency, especially if you're a new believer, a young believer, the tendency is to turn back to the world. You know what? I didn't have these problems before I was a Christian. It must be because I'm a Christian now that I have these problems. You didn't have problems before you were a Christian because you didn't realize you had problems. Now that you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and revealed to you, you know, you've got a drinking problem. You know, you've got a drug problem. You know, you've got a, a foul mouth problem. You know, you've got an anger issue. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, because you've invited Jesus into your life, he's now revealing things about your personality that you thought were okay before, and now you're realizing they're not okay. And you also realize that some people are saying, hey, what, what happened to you? Something's different. You're not, you're not your old self. And most of the time, they don't realize that. But most of the time, what they're doing is they're actually giving you a compliment. Because they've noticed a change in your personality. It may be within days or within weeks of you becoming a born-again believer. They all, all of a sudden realize, man, you're not flying off the handle like you used to. You're not swearing like you used to. You're not, you're not talking about women like you used to. Or you're not talking about men like you used to. Something's different. Something's changed. That's called the Holy Spirit. But even a seasoned believer, 20, 30, 40 years in the Lord, can have the enemy come into their lives, trying to bring fear into their lives, and they can turn back to the world. They can turn back to the enemy's camp. They have that moment, and it might just be a moment, but they do it. You see, this is what we're seeing in David's life, and that's what he's showing for you and me. Be careful. Be careful what you do. David made a decision. It was definitely the wrong decision. But he wrote it down so that you and I could understand. The Holy Spirit wrote it through David to understand. Don't go back to the enemy's camp. The world now is our enemy's camp. Not that you're anyone that doesn't know Jesus is an enemy, so don't even go down that road. But that's where the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, wants us to go back to and get tied up into again. And oftentimes it's because of fear. So David here boasts of the Lord and encourages others to exalt the Lord as well, even after making a bad decision. See, David didn't beat himself up over this bad decision for the rest of his life. No, he realized it was a bad decision. I'm going to turn. I'm going to exalt the Lord because that's what, that was David's overall character. And you want to know your own character and you want to look at other people's character. What is their overall Christian character? And do they make mistakes? Yes, we all make mistakes. The question is, do we repent? That's what we need to do. And if that's a part of our overall character, praise God, it should be. We learn to repent, which means to turn, to turn back to God, to forsake those things that were enticing me, 
And so that's what David is doing. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Verse four, I sought the Lord and he heard me. So again, David is looking back and he's realizing that was a poor decision. I had to act like, I mean, could you, would you want to brag about this in your testimony? Yeah, I went to the enemy camp and I acted like a madman and let drool run down my beard. I mean, that's not really a great testimony, is it? But it's in the word of God. Why? To show us what we could do. Because we are just like David. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Notice that. That God delivered David from his fears. Fears of who? Fears of the Philistines. Because initially, obviously, he wasn't afraid to go to the Philistines because he gladly went there. I got to run from Saul. Where am I going to go? Should I go to Adullam? Should I go to southern Israel? No, if I go to southern Israel, Saul will follow me into southern Israel. I've got to I've go somewhere where he won't follow me. And sometimes even in Christianity, we see Christians that will go places. You know what? I just got to get away from Christians. Because if I'm around Christians, I'm going to feel conviction of what I'm doing. And so I just got to get away from Christians. And they won't follow me to the world. They won't hang with me because I'm going to the world. And we shouldn't. But we should still reach out to them and call them, text them, whatever it might be, to encourage them to repent, to come back. But there is that time where you have to say, you know what? I I can't have fellowship with you because you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to convict your heart. And we have to actually sever that relationship. That does sometimes have to take place. Again, David repented of his poor choice. And he turned to the one who could deliver him from King Saul, God. You see, when David turned to the Lord in prayer, God calmed his fears and reassured David that he would take care of him. You know, James 4, 7 and 8 says this, Therefore, submit to God. So when you have fear, when I have fear, we need to realize, even as we just sang, we need to submit. We need to submit to God. Resist the devil. So there has to be, you know, a lot of times people don't, uh, Christians don't understand there's dual responsibility in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like when the children were in the wilderness and they needed food. God said, okay, I'm going to give you food. It's going to be outside the camp. And the camp had up to 3 million people. He said, you need to go outside the camp and collect the manna and that's going to be your food. So you see dual responsibility. God's responsibility, I'm providing you food. Your responsibility, go outside the camp and get it. He didn't say, I'm going to bring manna in jars and lay them at your tent's door. Dual responsibility. So for you and I, we have dual responsibility. God will take care of us, but we need to approach God. We need to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Not because of you, but because what? You're doing the first part. You're drawing near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this might th- you might th- be thinking, well, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. He's, he's always with me. Yes, that is true. But when we're in sin and we're in rebellion and we're shutting down the conviction of the Holy Spirit, yes, God is within us, but we're also shutting God out. We're pushing God away. So we need to, again, acknowledge our sins. As James goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners. 
Would you like to have him as a pastor? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now think about that. David is a young man. Just like all, all of us who have been young men or young women, we've made poor choices. We've probably even stopped in our tracks and said, why am I doing this? This is not a good idea. But then we kept moving. Or maybe it was a week or a month, or maybe it was several years later, we finally woke up and said, why am I doing this? Why am I fighting God? Because you're double-minded. We can become double-minded even as Christians. We know we shouldn't do certain things, but we do it. That's called double-mindedness. And so David here is being double-minded. I'm going to serve God. God's going to take care of me. But right now I'm living in fear, so I'm going to flee to the Philistines. And then the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He repented. Can this happen to any of us? Absolutely. Verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that. Taste and see. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Happy is the man. And the word blessed there is, is plural. You're abundantly happy. You're at peace because you know God is with you. Oh, fear the Lord. Fear there is reverence the Lord. You his saints. There is no want to those who reverence him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good things. You see, David's fear drove him to the enemy. David's faith brought him back home. Very important. That's that's just that's the number one tool of the enemy is fear. Fear. So David's fear drove him to the enemy, but David's faith, when he turned to God, when he realized, okay, God, you're you're giving me the faith that I have, and even you and I, the faith we have, we didn't drum it up inside us. Ephesians tells us it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. So even the faith that you had to receive Christ, in case you didn't know this, the Bible clearly tells us. We didn't drum that up. That was given to us. We just reached out and accepted it and received Christ. And as we continue to walk in faith, it's not a matter of, well, you just need to build up that faith. You need to speak positive words of faith. If you just have enough faith. And and religion, unfortunately, promotes this and it comes down to us. No. The responsibility is, Father, give me more of your Holy Spirit. I need more of your Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock for more of your Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, as the Father gives me more of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden I see my faith, which is really the faith, but my faith increase. And all of a sudden I see myself doing things that I didn't do before. Did I drum it up? No. I just asked the Holy Spirit. See, David here didn't drum it up. He repented and said, taste and see. Taste and see. You see, in order to know if God will answer, we need to give him the opportunity. And when we do, David uses the analogy of eating. You see, if someone was to describe various foods to you, I mean, just they're describing it and it sounds so good, it doesn't mean a whole lot. It doesn't mean a whole lot until you literally put it in your mouth. And then you might go, yuck, this is nasty. Or you might go, wow, this is really good, I like it. And so as we go to the world, we shouldn't be surprised that they reject us because they haven't tasted. But we need to keep inviting them. Well, why don't you come to, and then whatever event we might be doing at the church. Come. 
Well, you know, why don't you come to a Wednesday night? You know, it's a really casual setting. Why don't you just come? Guys, just keep inviting them to things. You know, why don't you come to the home fellowship? Real casual setting. Why don't you come to the home fellowship? Why don't you come to a men's night? So that they can do what? So that they can taste and see that there's a bunch of people that love each other, that care for each other, that are there for one another, but we got to invite. So invite. I encourage you to invite and to go into their lives as well without compromising so they might see, wow, you know, you're, you're different. I could see that. You see, once you give God the opportunity to meet your need, you will find out personally just how good God is. And at the marriage conference, Claude and I, uh, as what we taught last night was 37 years of marriage. We're in our 37th year. And so what we did is we took like 10 minutes and we broke down the first 10 years, next 10, next 10, and then the last seven. And, and in, in writing it down, which we haven't done before, but in writing it down, we're like, man, we've been through a lot. This is kind of crazy, everything that we've been through. But we can also look back and go, man, God is so good. I mean, look at this and look at this and look at this and look at this. And that's what we wanted to do last night with the couples was to encourage them practically. You know, you just got to keep doing the basics, the four basics. Reading your Bible every day on a regular basis. Fellowshipping as a marital couple on a regular basis. Being in church on a regular basis, not just Sunday morning, but being in church and praying together as a marital couple. And guys, I just want to let you know, that's why we are where we're at today as a marital couple, Claudia and I. Because we've done those four basics. Because people will run to every conference, they'll run to and fro to the latest fad, Thinking that this is going to make my Christian walk better. This is what's really going to turn my Christian walk up. Oh, the music is phenomenal over there. That's really going to do it for me. Oh, the teaching is really good over there. Oh, the lights, the smoke, whatever it is. And Christians are running back and forth. But the rest of the week, they're not doing the basics. And they wonder why they're having issues in their lives. Man, Sunday service is so great. Why is life miserable on Tuesday? Did you read your Bible at all? Have you had any fellowship? Are you doing anything else besides Sunday morning? Well, no. Well, there's your answer. It's a personal relationship. And so if you haven't experienced how good God is, ask yourself a simple question. Have I let God be God in my life? Have I really let God be God in my life? Or do I say God is the Lord, Jesus is the Lord of my life, but I still run my life? I do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I'm miserable, but that doesn't matter because I am the Lord of my life, not Jesus. It really is that simple, guys. And David here is just giving us that this lesson that we, that he, needed to submit to God. Verse 11 through 14, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. And again, this is why we have various meetings, men's meetings and women's meetings and marriage enrichment and college and career and sing, just so that we can learn from one another to do what? To reverence the Lord with our lives. To reverence the Lord with our lives. Who, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who is that? It's the person that keeps your tongue from evil. You want to see good in your life? 
Keep your tongue from evil. Don't speak bad about your fellow employees. Don't speak bad about your supervisor. Don't speak negatively about people in the church. Zip your lips. Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. From speaking lies. This is so prevalent with social media nowadays. We have to be so careful with social media. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Here David is giving some instructions to those around him. And he speaks of character and a godly character doesn't lie nor seek after the evil of this world. Now again, think back to our story. Who came to him? The distressed, those who are in debt, and the disgruntled. What a group. And these are serious guys. These aren't whips. These are warriors. These turned into men that David used to fight the Philistines. They were mighty warriors, but they were in debt, they were distressed, and they were discontented. So what is David even looking back, knowing what he had to do? He had to teach these men, don't speak evil of Saul. I know I'm supposed to be king, but Saul is king. And on two occasions, David had an opportunity to literally kill Saul. Was he thinking of killing Saul? Or did a few of his men say, kill Saul? You've got him now. He's right here. Kill him. It wasn't David thinking. It was someone around David that was saying, kill him. God's put him into your hand. But David knew that wasn't God. And so you and I, guys, we have to be careful who we allow into our lives and who we surround ourselves with so that we might depart from evil. If we're hanging around evil people, we shouldn't be surprised. For you younger people, be very, very careful. When I came to Christ at 17 and a half years old, I had to leave behind my old friends because my friends were not friends. I can no longer hang around them anymore without them and saying, hey, aren't you going to party with us? You see, there was pressure. And I would say, no, I, I don't do that anymore. So I had to learn, okay, I either give in to their pressure or they give in to mine. And it was real evident very quickly they weren't giving in to mine. So I wasn't going to continually go and hang out with them because, as again, as a young believer, I would have found myself falling back into the world and doing those things I know I shouldn't do. So I had to be mature enough to separate myself. And maybe you as an adult or a young person have to have that same understanding. You know what? I just got to put, I got to surround myself. I got to be careful here. I'm a believer and I'm going to fall. I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. So I need to depart from evil. Don't have anything to do with it, but rather do good and seek after having peace with others. Because it seems like our spiritual enemy is stirring up hatred more than ever and we need to be careful we don't fall into that trap. How is that happening today in our culture? Black Lives Matters. That's a problem, guys. Every life matters. Every unborn life matters. Every black life matters. Every Mormon life matters. Every Jehovah Witness life matters. Every Buddhist, every is What did you just put it out there? And going against the police. Going against the police. It's always a white cop shooting a black person. 
Is that all that happens in this country? Is that literally all that happens in this country? You guys know the answer? No. What is the enemy trying to do amongst us to sow discord? It's blacks against the whites. That's Just put it on the table. We don't have to be philosophical about this. This is just reality. The enemy is trying to pit the blacks against the whites. And that can creep into Christianity. The blacks against the Mexicans, the Mexicans against the whites, the whites against the Mexicans. And all of a sudden we can find ourselves, even in Christianity, have an opinion that we shouldn't have because they're made in God's image. Guys, we've got to be careful in these days we're living in. This is reality. And it creeps in very subtly into our lives. The prejudice can creep in real subtly. And it might not be outwardly. It might not be blatant. But when we see someone or the color of their skin or their sound of their voice, their, their accent or whatever, inside us, all of a sudden, we start to have a different emotion, a different sense than we should have because we're Christians. Because we've listened to the evil around us instead of, Siphoning it instead of, not siphoning, instead of filtering it through the word of God. For God so loved the whites that he gave his only begotten son. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? Anybody? Feel free to say no. For God so loves the Hispanics. Is that what the Bible says? No. For God so loved the world. So why do we get into this, let's separate groups. You're, you're not part of the world. Yes, they are part of the world. For God so loves the world. So you know what? When somebody's coming up with this stuff, no matter what color they are, jump into the conversation. Don't be afraid. Get them upset. Don't be politically correct. Say, hey, wait a minute. Doesn't God love every single person on this earth? Well, what do you mean? Well, John 3.16 says, for God so loves the world. You mean they love he loves Muslims? Yes, he loves Muslims. He loves every Muslim that blows themselves up. They're not going to go to heaven, but God loved them. I mean, is that not true? But, so we have to be careful, guys. I have to be careful. You have to be careful. Depart from evil. Surround yourself with like-minded believers. The eyes, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. We'll look at some words there in verse 18. Those five, those uh, six words to ha- to those who have a broken in the Hebrew, they means to break, to burst, to break, to burst, to those who have a broken heart. You know, you'll hear people say, "Well, that just breaks my heart." What are they meaning by that? Deep down, it's really affecting them, whatever it is. It's really affecting them emotionally. Such as have a, such as have a contrite, those five words mean crushed to powder. Crushed to powder. In other words, we can't take a prideful stance about us against someone else. 
God is not going to honor that. No, we have to be broken and realize that God has come for every single person on the face of this earth, those who are born as well as those who have been unborn yet, those who are in the womb. We are to step step up and speak out for those who are in the womb. Because pride is a powerful fleshly attribute and the enemy often entices that attribute in the life of the believer. What does it do? It produces stubbornness and arrogance. I'm right, you're wrong. Which needs to be broken and crushed in order to be truly used of God. So for you and I, we have to regularly, habitually, allow the Holy Spirit to break us and to crush us so that we might become more like Jesus and reach out to every person, not just a select group of people, but to every single person. You see, David became broken and crushed over the whole incident of King Saul desiring to kill him. He had to continually learn to trust in God and not in his own abilities, hence going to the Philistines. For there would be many who were seeking to kill him. Verses 19 through 21. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Notice that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not a one of them is broken. And in the Gospel of John, John makes reference to this verse. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. You see, David brings home the reality of the Christian walk. There will be afflictions in this life, but God will deliver them out of, out of them all. And you might think, well, that's not true. You see, he might not deliver the believer physically, but he will give the believer the peace that surpasses understanding. And that's what we need more than anything is that peace of God. And no matter what we go through, a desire for peace is at the heart of the issue. The last trial that you went through, what were you seeking? You were seeking deliverance, obviously. But what was the root? I need peace. This is, this is causing trauma. This is causing pain. This is causing anxiety. This is causing frustration. I need peace. I want peace. The bottom line is peace. I need to have peace. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. So as David says this, you want to again read from Genesis to Revelation because you can go, well, that's not true. No, it is true. God will deliver us, but he might not deliver us physically. Many people, even in our church, have ailments that they're going to take to the grave with them. The prophets of old had ailments that they took to the grave with them. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this is the greatest thing. Even as I mentioned last week, if nothing good ever happens. Remember last week when I said that? If nothing, anything good happens the rest of my life. A lot of good things happened this past week to us in our lives. There were some bad things, but a lot of good things happened, so praise God. But again, here's verses again this week. What's it all about? I have peace with God. So if I have peace with God, now I can have peace with others. Does that mean that everybody out there wants peace with me? No. But I can at least do my part so I can have peace 
by having peace. But if I'm not having peace in this direction, this direction is the horizontal is not going to be peaceful. So I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The grace. Who's writing this? Paul. And what did Paul had? Paul had an ailment. I believe it was an eye ailment. We don't know for sure. But he actually went to, the scriptures say, he said he pleaded three times with the Lord. It doesn't say that he just, oh, I threw up a prayer. No, I pleaded with the Lord, take this out of my life. I don't want this. Whatever it was, Paul was pleading. And after the third time, God said, Paul, stop asking me. I'm paraphrasing. You can read it yourself. But Paul, stop asking me. And what does God go on to say? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, grace gets us back to that mentality of, okay, I've got peace with God. Because Paul goes on to say, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. How many of you have that plaque on your wall at home? Yes, I glory in tribulations. This Paul's writing this. What's he trying to do? Give us the proper perspective. Because we all like to whine in our tribulations. We all do. But the more that you realize God's with me and God's got a plan through this tribulation, the quicker you're going to be to give God the glory. Because you're going to realize, okay, there's something good at the end of this. There is something good at the end of this. It's kind of like that story of the the little kid that was told to go out and clean up the, the horse manure. And it was a huge pile. I mean, it's a huge pile. Just absolutely huge. And it was almost a punishment. The dad was so kind of upset with the kids. And you know what? Get out there and clean out that horse manure. And so he takes the shovel and he just starts going crazy into this pile. He's throwing it everywhere. He's digging with his hands. He's just going crazy. And finally the dad goes out, what are you doing? He goes, well, with this much manure, there must be a horse in here. I got to find it. Even in tribulation, guys, you got to think long term. Because what does the Bible say? God works a few things out for the good. God works a few things out for the good. Is that what your Bible says? That's what we think. If we're real with ourselves, when we're in tribulation, that's what we think. God works a few things out for the good. That's not what the word says, does it? God works all things together for good. All things? Cleaning the horse manure? All things together for the good. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope that does not disappoint, because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, God is faithful no matter what, guys. God is faithful no matter what. God is faithful no matter what the enemy might try to tell us. God is faithful no matter what he allows to come into our lives. Bottom line, God is faithful. We are not, he is. Stay focused on that fact. God is faithful no matter what. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And we praise God for that. The word redeemed means rescue, to rescue, to ransom, to deliver. That's what that word means. 
And you and I, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, if you're with us this morning, this doesn't apply to you. It can apply to you, but at this particular moment, it doesn't apply to you. But for every Bible-believing Christian in this room this morning, you've been redeemed. You've been rescued from hell. You've been ransomed by God. You're mine. And you've been delivered from hell. You are now going to heaven. That should make you excited. You see, no one who trusts in Jesus has any worry about their eternal destiny. Because Jesus has gone before us and will spare us any judgment that will lead to condemnation, which is the great white throne judgment. Now, if you're with us this morning, and if you've been listening, you know that God loves you. If you haven't been listening, I'm telling you right now, God loves you. And God sends no one to hell because that's always the thing that people say. Well, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose to go there because we choose not to accept Jesus as our Savior. It's a free will choice. So if you're with us this morning, you've just heard that, so you can never say to God, well, nobody ever told me. You were just told. God loves you. God wants you to be his son or a daughter. You have your own free will. You can choose to receive Jesus, or you can choose to, to reject Jesus. Don't ever blame God or anybody else. It's your choice. And when you stand before God, because you will, scriptures make that perfectly clear, God's just going to ask you one question for our conversation. God already knows, but for our conversation, he's just going to ask you one simple question. What'd you do with Jesus? What'd you do with Jesus? I sent him to die for you. What did you do with him? I rejected him. Okay. Okay. Why would you want to come to heaven then? See ya. It's your choice. So choose wisely this day. If you don't know Jesus, if you're with us and you don't know Jesus, choose wisely today. It's your eternity, not mine. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. We want you to go as well. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And for the unbeliever, for that person this morning, they, they probably don't understand that terminology. But I think they understand that deep down they're a sinner. Just as all of us believers realized at one point in time, we're a sinner in need of a Savior. And so, Father, I thank you and praise you that you sent your son Jesus to come and to die For the whole world, 7.2 billion people. And Lord, we see the enemy trying to bring division in, as your word said would take place. Ethnic group against ethnic group. Lord, may we as believers never buy into that lie. But as believers, we would broadcast it. We would not be ashamed to call somebody on the carpet. That we would proclaim John 3.16 that we would not allow any prejudice to come into our lives or into our sphere of influence, but we would call people on the carpet and hold them accountable to their prejudice. Father, we thank you for that great love you have for us. You know, as the saints are praying, if what I shared earlier is you and you would like to receive Jesus this morning, maybe you came because you're Your wife or your husband asked you to come and so you came just out of being a nice person, so to speak.
You need a Savior. And we're glad you came. You need Jesus. That's the only ticket into heaven. Your mate's not getting you into heaven. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you would like to receive Jesus, if you're willing to acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, God will receive you and welcome you into heaven this very moment. So just pray this simple prayer after me. God, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I don't understand the whole Christian thing. I really don't even get a lot of the study today. But I do have to admit, I know I'm a sinner. And so God, I I invite Jesus into my life right now. I invite Jesus to be my Savior right now. And God, I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life as well. Again, I, I don't understand this, but I'm going to pray it because I'm trusting in you. I'm bringing my whole life to you. So I invite your Holy Spirit to my life right now. And that now I can call you Father. My Father. And that even right now, I'm a saint. You, because of this simple, sincere prayer, you now see me as a saint. Thank you, Father, for loving me so much. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. Help us to learn from this. Help us never to go to the enemy's camp, but to run to other believers. Lord, we pray as we go out into our mission field that we'll be faithful ambassadors this week. Whoever crosses our path, young or old, whatever nationality, Lord, give us opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. It might only be for a few seconds, but help us to share the love of Christ with them, that they would understand God loves them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great week.